Well, if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Stepped out of the Gospel of Matthew last week for Mother's Day, and now we're coming back to our series, continuing our series, of course, The King and His Kingdom. So try to reorient your minds a little bit and remember all that we've gone through. It's been a a fun year from September until now, going through this 23rd chapter we're on now, so that's where you're headed, Matthew chapter 23. There's 28 total chapters, so we're starting to get there towards the end, little by little, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, 23 is our chapter today. So as you're opening up your Bibles to that page, hopefully you can multitask with me because I'm going to invite your involvement in a little exercise, okay? I need you to work with me. And we're going to use our imaginations. Okay? I think we can do this. I need you to imagine with me what it would be like. Imagine that you are running for president of the United States of America. Okay? You. You're running for president. All right? You're in the midst of your campaign. And maybe you're like me. I see some of you shaking your heads right now. You're thinking, why am I running for president of the United States? I have zero desire to be president of the United States. You have to use your imagination, right? I want you to imagine that you want to be president of the United States, okay? You desire this. And in fact, you're far along in your campaign. You're reaching the end of your campaign. People are thinking that you are going to win your campaign. You're gaining incredible popularity. You are the most popular candidate. Your fame is great. And I want you to be thinking that along with all this comes a lot of media coverage, Okay, so everywhere you go, doesn't matter if you're going to lunch with your friend, you're going to pick up your kids, you're going to church, there's a horde of media, cameras, microphones, reporters in your face asking you questions. This is not a welcoming party, this is not friendly, this is aggressive, it is attacking, it is interrogating you, asking you questions, hopefully to trap you into saying something that's going to hurt your campaign. Okay, you can stop using your imagination now. You're no longer running for president of the United States. Aren't you glad? (laughs) My point bringing this up is hopefully to get us a little bit, just a little bit, uh, in the shoes of Jesus uh, where we are here in chapter 23. As time and time again, over and over, he would be attacked and interrogated by the Jewish religious leaders. The leaders of his own people come up to him Ask him questions intending to trap him, hurt him, tear him down, shame him, discredit him. They were relentless in their pursuit of him to try to bring him down. And I counted in the Gospel of Matthew so far up to this chapter 19 instances. I counted 19 occurrences where Jesus so far, 19, has clashed. And these are just the instances that Matthew records. There could be others too. But you see, time and time again, they come, they show up. Here they are again. And here we go again. And I put on your study sheet there under the today's text section that there is no doubt that these interactions disturbed Jesus. They bothered him. And I think they bothered him because he witnessed their hard hearts persisting. That they were unbending in their will to reject him and ultimately to destroy him. And I think something that's not talked about too much when it comes to Jesus and his interactions with his opponents, they were his opponents, is that he cared for them. He loved them. Just as he loved Judas, who would betray him. 
And this is why I say that he was disturbed by these interactions because he was sorrowful of their refusal to believe in him. It saddened him. He cared deeply. And we're going to see in our text very evidently that these interactions also made Jesus furious. Justifiably so. And so we're going to see him use words that reflect a blend, an emotional blend of sorrow and fury together. He was deeply furious because he deeply cared. So my hope is that as we read the text and as you hear Jesus' words, which are harsh, that you hear the tone of his deep, sincere passion, his care. And you remember that he's just now days away from his crucifixion. So that's the scene. And before we get into reading the text, I just wanted to give you a heads up that we're going to do something a little different today than we normally do. We're not going to read the entire text right away. We'll read the first 12 verses. We'll take a little break, so don't be alarmed. We'll talk about those first 12 verses. And then we'll wrap up with 13 through the end of the chapter. All right, so first 1 through 12, and then 13 through the rest of the chapter. Sound good? Okay, you with me? All right. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much now for this opportunity to open up your word and to hear from you, the God of the universe. We thank you so much for the Bible, for your word, how you reveal yourself to us in it. You show us who you are. And that is our prayer this morning, that you would do just that today. Here in this room, would you speak through me? Would you use my words to be your words? And open up our hearts and our ears to hear from you this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen. Matthew 23, verse 1. This is God's word. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Okay, so right off the bat here, I want you to notice with me in these first 12 verses who Jesus is talking to. Our answer, of course, is found in verse 1 there. Then Jesus said to who? The crowds and to his disciples. Although the heading over my chapter here in the ESV in my Bible says seven woes to 
the scribes and Pharisees. In these first 12 verses, Jesus is not talking to the scribes and Pharisees yet. He's talking about the scribes and Pharisees. And he's talking to the crowds and his disciples. Now, this is not to be confused with gossip or slander. Okay, Obviously, he's talking about faults and failures of the scribes and Pharisees. But the emphasis here is not slandering them or bringing them down, but offering a stern warning to the crowd and to his disciples of what not to do, not to emulate in the path of these religious leaders. I'll liken what Jesus is doing to something that I like to do when I coach. Of course, I'm like Jesus. I coach like Jesus. Uh, so right down the road here, I coach at uh, a school, help out with the middle school baseball team. I love baseball. And uh, at this level, middle school, okay, let's just say that um, there's a lot of learning that goes on during the game, if you catch my drift, right? So there's a lot of mistakes happening on the field. And sometimes when I see a key mistake happening, I will turn to the guys in my dugout who hopefully are paying good attention to what's going on in the field, and I will say, did you see what happened out there? What did he do wrong? Or maybe I'll tell them what he did wrong. Did you see that guy who took a lead off of first base? He crossed his legs. And when he crossed his legs, the pitcher threw back to first base. He tripped over himself when he tried to get back to first base. That is what not to do, right? I'm pointing out the flaw and the failure of another player. And I'm not doing that with a motivation to bring that player down, to slander that player, to humiliate him. But my focus is on my players, on my guys, and teaching them what not to do. My goal in that moment is to make my guys better baseball players. A good coach and a good teacher will use a bad example to show what not to do. Make sense? And Jesus here, being the great teacher that he was, turns to his disciples, he turns to the crowd, he points at the example of the scribes and Pharisees, and he says, this is what not to do. Don't do it like these guys did it. But what were they doing that was so bad? I ask on your study sheet there, what was so bad about their conduct that would prompt Jesus to say this? I mean, after all, these guys were the, the models of righteousness in their society, right? I mean, they represented the peak of religious devotion, strictly and meticulously following their 600 plus rules and regulations upon which they measured their righteous standing with God. Yes, these guys were were very good at keeping up their appearances and following their own rules. And that, right there, is the problem with their conduct, that it was hypocritical. That's the fill-in on your study sheet, that their conduct was hypocritical. A hypocrite is someone who pretends to be what they are not. A hypocrite is an actor, a pretender. A falsehood, a fraud. A hypocrite says one thing and does another. So we find Jesus saying of them in verse 3, they preach, but they do not practice. In verse 2, Jesus says they sit on Moses' seat. That is, they seated themselves in the seat of honor, in the seat that represented the teaching and the authority of the law itself. These guys knew Scripture They memorized it, word for word. They dissected it. They made it their life mission to follow the minute details of the law and the scripture. Yes, Jesus says, they preach. They preach, but they do not practice. But 
we take a step back and we think about what we know about the Pharisees and the scribes, these guys were supposed to be really good at following the letter of the law. So how can Jesus say they don't practice? Well, it would appear so for them that they were good at following the law. And that is all that mattered for these guys. Appearances. Appearances is the next fill-in on your study sheet there. The Pharisees and scribes worked hard to keep up their appearances. And those appearances were in accordance with their own teaching and their own rules, which went beyond, above and beyond the law that God gave. And they took these self-made laws and self-made regulations, these traditions, and they said, these are from God. And they put them over top of other people as if they had the authority of God. And so that is why Jesus says in verse 4, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. So remember what Jesus is doing here. He's pointing out the bad example of the Pharisees and scribes and telling the crowds and his disciples not to follow what they're doing. Well, what are they doing? One, They are hypocrites who preach but do not practice. Two, they impose impossible burdens on others. And three, now in verse five, he's going to say the only reason these guys are in the game is to feel good about themselves. Look what he says in verse five. They do all their deeds. Why? To be seen by others. Their primary motivation for following all these rules and regulations is so that they might see, others might see their good works and give them a good cheer. That was, their, that was the totality of their pursuit. And do you see how worthless and hypocritical that is? Because that's what Jesus wants you to see and that's what he's warning you about. Jesus gives a, a couple examples of how these guys loved attention and praise. And he talks about a couple examples of religious accessories these guys would wear that they would flash up a little bit and dazzle up better than the next guy so they could stand out. And, I mean, they, they literally dressed to impress. Furthermore, Jesus says, verse 6, they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. Are you getting the whole picture here? These guys loved, they loved the praise of man. They lived for the spotlight. And if Jesus is telling us and telling the crowds and his disciples not to follow their example, then there should be on the flip side a good example, a righteous example that we ought to follow and that we should follow. And thankfully, he has given us one. He's given us a perfect example. The perfect example. Of course, he's given us himself. And so we find Paul exhorting us to have this mind among yourselves. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though being in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, God of the universe, emptied himself. He became a man, taking the form of a servant, it says, so that he could serve. So we find in our text today, in verse 11, Jesus says, the greatest among you shall be your, what? 
servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus here makes a distinction between false and meaningless praise, false and meaningless exaltation, and the true and valuable exaltation that comes from God himself. The praise of man is worthless. And in his kingdom, the king will exalt those who served genuinely with no regard for self-interest. Don't you long to hear the words, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. In his kingdom, the king will exalt those who serve genuinely. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. And so it should be no surprise that we find of the humble servant Christ that God has highly exalted him and placed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no one who deserves more praise than Jesus and there is no one more humble than he. He is our perfect example And he asks us to follow in his ways. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Remember his words this morning as well, that in his kingdom, the exalted will be humbled and the humble will be exalted. Now there's a little bit of a shift in our text. In the first 12 verses here, Jesus has been speaking, of course, to the crowds and the disciples as we've discussed. And now he's going to turn to directly address the scribes and the Pharisees whom he's been talking about. Now he's going to talk directly to them. And so that's what we're going to see here. We'll read the rest of the chapter together. And it's going to take a little bit to get through it. It's a little longer. But we're not going to rush it. And um, there's going to be some purposefully intensive And strong language used by Jesus. And uh, there's purpose to it. And I want us to take the time to go through it, read it, to feel it. And before we read, just one other quick note here. Verse 14, uh, in my Bible at least, is listed as a footnote due to textual issues. And so it might be included in the main text in your Bible. If you have an ESV like me, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read right through. And then when we get to verse 14, I'll hop down there and read that and just continue on, okay? But before we read, remember that this is the climactic face-off between Jesus and these religious leaders. Remember, try to remember all those 19 instances that have led up to this point. All these encounters he's had with them leading up to, to now. And remember that he knows that right now they are planning to kill him. And now he turns to judge them. Verse 13. But woe to you, Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense you make long prayers. Therefore, you will receive the greater condemnation. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides 
who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, If anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which hourly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of your fathers. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of innocent Abel and to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus isn't messing around here. I hope that in the, in the midst of those words of judgment, you could still hear care in Jesus' voice. Did you know that 
judgment, punishment, harsh words can also be loving. I used to hate it when my dad would say the famous words, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, right? Because I knew what that meant. It meant the wooden spoon was coming from down on high. It's going to strike me with a fury untold. I kid a little bit, but my dad, my dad spanked me because he cared. No one cared more than Jesus. And he uses the word woe here to express both condemnation, yes, condemnation, but also compassion. He uses it to express both condemnation and compassion. He, he's not being malicious here, but he's rendering appropriate judgment for due cause. He does not rejoice over this judgment. But in his perfect justice, and he is perfectly just, he exercises his wrath on account of their wrongdoing. And even through these woes of judgment, we should hear the grace of his warnings to us. And so on your study sheet there, I give you four things that Jesus condemns in the lives of the scribes and Pharisees And they can be heard as forewarnings to us today. Firstly, Jesus condemns misplaced passion. As we mentioned before, these guys were obsessed with appearances, outward appearances. They wanted to look good so they could receive praise from others. That is what they were passionate about. Nobody could accuse these guys of not having religious zeal. No one could say they weren't passionate. They were certainly passionate. And Jesus does not condemn them for their passion, but the fact that they were passionate about the wrong thing. And there is great danger in being passionate about the wrong thing because passion tends to sweep others along with it. And that was the consequence of this misplaced passion is that it it brings others along for the ride to the wrong destination. And that is what is happening here for the scribes and Pharisees. As Jesus says, look at verse 13 with me. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Jesus says that the Pharisees and scribes are guilty of shutting the door to the kingdom and preventing people from coming in. Jesus vehemently condemns this. Jesus condemns misplaced passion. Secondly, Jesus condemns misplaced priorities or what one author I was reading called majoring in the minors. Jesus condemns majoring in the minors. The Pharisees and the scribes, they were so caught up with the small things, with the minute details of the law that they neglected what Jesus called the weightier matters of the law. Hear his words in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting others. In the previous chapter, chapter 22, the text we were in the last time we were in Matthew, Jesus talked and he spoke of the two greatest commandments. He said of these two greatest commandments that all the law depends upon these two commandments. 
love God, and love your neighbor. These, as Christians, are the majors we're supposed to be majoring in. These are our priorities. And the scribes and Pharisees, they were neglecting those priorities because they were majoring in the minors. And for us, we can't neglect the minors, but we prioritize and focus on loving God and loving others. And by doing that, the minors will come and overflow from that. Thirdly, Jesus condemns masking a wicked heart. We've already talked a little bit about the hypocritical nature of the Pharisees and scribes. They preached, but they did not practice, Jesus says. They taught the law, they claimed to be righteous leaders, but in reality their hearts were far away from God. Verse 28 says, their hearts were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus once said of these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus condemns masking a wicked heart. He sees right through it. Lastly, Jesus condemns unbelief. The Pharisees and the scribes, their hearts truly were far from Jesus. They refused to believe in him. And such a refusal to reject Jesus, the Christ, has ultimate consequence. Namely, hell. For those who do not repent and believe in Jesus, his words in verse 33 apply. You serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Hell is a real place. Hell is a reality. And it does await those who, like the scribes and the Pharisees, willfully reject Jesus. And that, ultimately, was the worst failure of the scribes and Pharisees, their deliberate rejection of Jesus as the Messiah. They refused to acknowledge Jesus for who he claimed to be and for who the scripture, the scripture that they so meticulously studied and memorized, declared him to be. They refused to believe it. Jesus showed them and told them again and again who he was, but they refused to listen. They were incredibly deliberate, incredibly stubborn in their refusal to even open up their hearts to the possibility that Jesus might be who he said he is. Is this describing you this morning? Jesus has shown you again and again who he is. He has shown you again and again through his provision in your life, through his words in the scripture, through his sacrifice on the cross for you, that he is who he says he is. That he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is, yes, the ultimate judge of the living and the dead. But yet, despite him showing you who he is, you continue to stiff arm him like the scribes and Pharisees refusing to listen. If this is describing you this morning, do you hear Jesus' warning to you? Let today be the last day you plug your ears. Let today be the last day you push him away. For his invitation is still open to you. He is still extending his arms 
wide open for you to come, repent, and come to him. There is nothing that Jesus wanted more for the scribes and Pharisees than for them to stop the charade, stop the act, stop living for everyone else out here, and to start living for him. He sees your wicked heart. He sees right through your mask. He sees everything about you. And he still wants you to come to him. The beauty of the gospel is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus loved the Pharisees and the scribes. And he loves you. That is why he came. That is why he went to the cross. For you. And for all who might believe in him that they might have everlasting life. Yet, it is entirely possible to live a life on this earth filled with all kinds of Christian behavior that looks good to others, but yet not know Jesus. This text screams, don't do that. Jesus warns us today, don't be like the scribes and Pharisees. Don't be concerned about your outward appearance. Don't be occupied with that, but let him occupy your heart. I invite you to stand and we'll close together in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you for your example of humility, that you emptied yourself and became a man, came to this earth, walked a perfect sinless life, and went to the cross, died on the cross, taking our sin, our shame, crucifying it, and rising again from the dead, so that we too might rise with you and have eternal life. I pray now for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, who feels a little bit of a tug on their hearts right now, to respond, to repent and to come to you, that you would work in their hearts, prompt them to respond in faith this morning. Help all of us to hear your truth, let it penetrate our hearts, and to respond in faith. We pray in the name of Jesus and through the Spirit. Amen.